Amen. Thank you, Brad. I appreciate very much the song and who you are and leading us in uh, worship. And I thank you for the worship uh, team. All oh, you've led us in. Boy, it's been a great day. It's a lot more fun to sing when this is closer to full, isn't it? We think about that. It, it's, we know we've been the church outside these walls, but it's good to gather and encourage one another inside these walls, too. And so thank you for being here today. Thank you for uh, praying through these days. Thank you this week for ministering to folks in the parking lot. A lot of you folks did that. We're going to do that again this week. We're going to pray, have pizza and prayer to our folks right there. And that worked great. If you didn't get an opportunity to be here last uh, Tuesday, you can come again this week at 6 o'clock, a little bit before that, and we'll pray together, and then we'll pray for folks. We've seen the hurt in our community and the, and the need we prayed with folks who were crying because, because of uh, the things that they've been facing and, and uh, the upcoming school year and all of what's going on. The folks are, there are a lot of folks, and not, not in this room necessarily. There are a lot of folks who are just scared. And a lot of teachers and a lot of uh, children and parents and all those folks. So come and pray and come and help us pass out uh, pizzas. On Tuesday, also want to thank those folks who helped feed our coaches on uh, Thursday, and that, that was a great time. Thank you so much for doing a lot. Our folks, uh, we, we f- we're finding ways, finding ways to scatter and to minister in the midst of all of this. We'll continue to do that as much as we can. Keep being faithful. Thank you so much for your faithfulness and your your tithes and offerings that help us do some of those those kind of things. I think about that song that Brad just sang. The inspiration for that is our our text for today, Daniel 3. We've been walking through the book of Daniel and calling this sermon series Faith in the Face of Adversity or Faith in the Fire. And this is really the crux sort of chapter in chapter 3. I want you to see, we're going to kind of review a little bit of where we left off last week. But as we we look at Daniel 3, I hope you'll, you brought your own copy of Scripture. If you haven't, there's a hopefully a bulletin in your seat that the, the main text we're going to be looking at in Daniel 3, 15 through 18 is on the back of that bulletin, so you can follow along there. If you're uh, new to us or, or new with us, I want you to see a, a, a text number that you can respond. And, and even if you're not new, but you have a public decision you need to make, you can actually, we're, we're going high tech now, okay? So you can go to 94,000 and text FBC DC to 94,000 in that little text box, and you can uh, receive text updates of what's going on around here, or you can uh, register for our life group classes. One of the things that we're uh, waiting to do to see how many folks we have so that we make sure uh, we have the proper amount of space to do what we we need to do responsibly. But you can also text uh, decisions or prayer requests on that same. Uh, there are different links there. So, so please take note of that. Even today, at the end of the service, if you don't feel comfortable coming forward during that invitation time, you can respond uh, via text. And we will, re- we will get back to you and follow up on that. So as we... We think about that song that Brad just sang. There's other songs that have been inspired by Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Some of you who are a little bit older know a guy named Brooks Benton who sang that song, Shadrach, Meshach. I, can't, I don't want to sing it for you. But as I was looking, for, looking at that song 
on YouTube. You know that song, Miss Glenda? You know that Shadrach? You want to sing that for us? No, okay. I, I, I met uh, with a uh, YouTube video of the great theologian, Johnny Cash. And he <laughs> sings a song called The Fourth Man in the Fire. And I want to share just a little bit because it helps us review what's going on. Now, we've heard this story, so I'm going to try to recount and summarize this story uh, in a way that maybe is fresh and new to you. But I would encourage you, there's always, sometimes we think we know these stories uh, about the fiery furnace. There's always more to glean. So go to Daniel 3 yourself this afternoon, read those 30 verses, and just see how God speaks to you. But Johnny Cash would say, I'm going to do my, do my best, Johnny Cash. They wouldn't bend. They were held onto the will of, of God, so we are told. They wouldn't bow. They wouldn't bow their knees to idols made of gold. They wouldn't burn. They were protected by the fourth man in the fire. They wouldn't bend. They wouldn't bow. They wouldn't burn. That was pitiful, wasn't it? <laughs> He says, there's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and the fiery coals that they trod. But the form of the fourth man that I see is like the Son of God. There's a fourth man in the fire with them, like the Son of God. You know and I know who that is. It's Jesus. Because Jesus is the one who saves. We call that, in theological terms, uh, a theophany. A pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus before Bethlehem or a Christophany, a, a pre-incarnate appearance of Christ before Bethlehem ever happened. Jesus, who was there from the very beginning creating the world with God the Father, is there in the fire with them. Now, if he was with them 2,600 years ago, don't you think he'll be with you? Through all, whatever you face, we live in a crazy world, don't we? And we need help from beyond ourselves. And we have that help. And we have that hope in Jesus. And so as we think about this text from the Old Testament, 600 years before Jesus, let's not remember that it's pointing toward Jesus. And as we think about how Jesus saves, we're going to look at how He saves us uh, still from the fiery furnace of stuff that's happening and stuff that could happen still. So as we look at this passage, I want to just recount what's going on in Daniel 3. Now, at the end of Daniel 2, there's this great, evil, wicked king. Remember his name? Nebuchadnezzar. Can you spell it? N-E-B-U-C-H-A-N-E-Z-Z-A-R. If you do it real fast, nobody really knows if you do it or not. Nebuchadnezzar is his name, and at the end of chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar has had his dream interpreted by Daniel. Remember this story? We did it last week. And, and he, is, he says in chapter 2, verse about 27, Daniel's God is the God of gods. He is the Lord of kings, meaning that he is greater than Nebuchadnezzar. But evidently, Nebuchadnezzar forgets. I don't know exactly how much time is between chapter 2 and chapter 3, but it's long enough for him to forget. Because the dream had talked about how Nebuchadnezzar was the head of gold, remember the present time? And Nebuchadnezzar is not content just to be the, the head of gold. He wants to be the whole statue. 
And so by chapter 3, he creates this golden statue, 90 feet tall and 9 feet wide. Now imagine that for just a moment. It's gold-plated, 90 feet. This is not 90 feet. This is like 30 feet high. Now, think about three times as high as this ceiling. Everybody, you, you can look up. It's okay. Look up. You know, when I was a kid, I used to count those tiles up there. Not in this church, but in another one. Don't do that, kid. Look at the banners. They're much better. Much, much better. So, 90 feet. So, you get this picture, and probably that statue is Nebuchadnezzar himself. He doesn't want Daniel's dream to come true because in the dream, his kingdom fades and another one comes after him. Nebuchadnezzar wants his kingdom to last forever. Don't we? Don't we want our kingdoms or what, our little kingdoms to last forever? We don't want to think about uh, the end of our control and, and our power and our rule and our reign over our own lives. But Nebuchadnezzar uh, forgets between chapter 2 and chapter 3. And maybe as much as 18 years pass, we, we get that figure because he possibly could have created this statue uh, to co- commemorate the overcoming of the Jewish temple in Jerusalem, and that happened about 587 B.C., and the first exile of Daniel and his friends happened about 605 B.C., so if you're following along and you're into history and that kind of thing, it could be 18 years old, and the point I'm trying to make here is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who haven't spoken to this point in the book of Daniel, are now on their own, and Daniel's not around, and and they could be in their 20s, maybe even as old as their late 30s, Uh, by this time. And they are faced with a dilemma, like Daniel has been, or like we looked at the first week in chapter 6. Do they bow down to this golden image, idol of the king? Or do they stay strong and remain faithful uh, to the one true God? So the king has this decree issued, and it kind of has a paid preacher type guy. His herald that says, uh, okay, when the, when the music starts to play, everybody bows down. And he has gathered his entire kingdom, Babylonian kingdom, all these different languages and, and nations and people. Are, the leaders of all of them are, are gathered on this plain uh, called the plain of, of Dura. And he's trying his best to unite, unify this kingdom, because they all have their different religions and a different way of viewing life. And, and what better way he thinks to unify them than, than to deify himself by creating this statue and making everybody bow down to it. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego think better. And they don't unify, they don't deify, they defy his order. And so these astrologers are... Chaldeans, and check me up on this, okay? Read this chapter, if you would. They say, okay, king, didn't you issue this decree if everybody, if people don't bow down when the music starts to play? Aren't we going to throw them into the fiery furnace? And the king said, of course, that's what I said. And I'm standing by it. And so he calls, he's furious when he finds out that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are not bowing down. And so he calls them in. Hey, guys, is it true? You don't bow down to me. So I'm going to give you another chance. When the music starts to play, you bow down. And they respond 
with what we're going to look at it here in just a minute. King, we can't do it. And so after uh, their response, we're going to see in verses 15 through 18, the king has to do what he has to do. He throws them into the fiery furnace. You've known this story since you were a little kid. But something miraculous happens. In the midst of that fiery furnace that Johnny Cash sings about, there's not just three, but there's four. In the midst of this blazing furnace that could be 1,800 degrees and hotter than it ought to be, heated up seven times at the whim of Nebuchadnezzar and his anger, so hot that when those army, strong army ranger types throw in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they die themselves because it's so hot. In the midst of that, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are just kind of cruising around, just kind of taking in the, the heat, just warming themselves by the fire. They're not bound anymore, and, and Nebuchadnezzar sees them as they've thrown, been thrown on the top. He sees them from the, from the bottom sort of window. Hey, didn't we throw three guys in there? Now there's four. And that fourth one, he looks like the Son of God. Because it is. It's Jesus. In their midst. And so he calls them out of that fire. He can't get close enough himself. He calls them out. Shadrach, Meshach, get, get out of here. What, what's going on here? Hey. Hey. And as they come out, not a hair on their head is singed. I don't know about you guys. Guys, you ever barbecue and you get that flame going up real big and, and, and you burn your eyebrows or you, or you burn your hair off your arm? You, you know what I'm talking about. When you put it, you know, the flame goes out. I've done this stupid thing. I've squirted lighter fluid on that flame. And here it goes. I know how easily your hair can be singed. Yet they've got this fierce fire going and they don't even smell like smoke you know somebody that smokes and you can't hardly stand to be around them because they smoke if you've got allergies or anything i'm not making accusations of if you smoke i'm sorry but but you know you know what they smell like you know what they smell like they don't even smell like smoke how could that happen god delivered God delivers his, his faithful servants. See, God doesn't deliver everybody every time. We know that full well, and we'll look at that in this story. But in this instance, God delivers. And, and the reason, the pressure that they felt uh, not to, or the, the pressure they felt to bow down is all released. You, you think about this for just a moment. Why wouldn't they just bow down and just kind of fake it? Well, we'll get to that. But would you? Would you give in to, to the pressures? We do, don't we? From time to time, we, we bow down to idols. Oh, it's not a 90-foot, 9, 
sort of thing. But it's an idol. If it takes our attention and our affection and our resources away from the one true God, it's an idol. It comes between us and God. And we've got to consider what are our idols in our day. I don't know about you, but it seems like some of those things have been stripped away. We've talked about those in recent days. Our, our society, our culture, and sometimes us get trapped by things like sports and entertainment and leisure and jobs and money and all sorts of things that puts pressure on us to conform and to bow down. And, oh, we don't get on our knees and worship those things. But we do it when our hearts are taken. So let's look at the example of these guys. Now, our faith is not formulaic so much, but there are examples that we can see, and they ought to always point us in the direction of, of Jesus, and that's where I want us to go here. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, as they respond to this situation, are great examples for us. So would you stand in honor of the reading of God's holy word as we look at Daniel 3, beginning with verse 15, going through verse 18. Now, they are before the king here, and Nebuchadnezzar says, I'll give you one more chance to bow down and worship the statue I've made when you hear the sound of the musical instruments. But if you refuse, you'll be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. And then, get this, verse 15. And then what God will be able to rescue you from my power? They know one, don't they? They know a God who can rescue them. Notice, and we'll get to this a little later in the chapter, how his response changes at the end when God does miraculous things. But if you refuse, you'll be thrown immediately in a blazing fire. And then verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you if we are thrown into the blazing furnace. The God whom we serve is able to save us. I know you're able. I know you can. I know you can save by your mighty hand. But even if you don't, he will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if, there's the words, even if he doesn't, we want, you to make, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the god or the gold statue you have set up. We will never worship your gods or the gold statue that looks like you, Nebuchadnezzar. You may be seated. Let's look at what God's faithful servants do not do. As we look at this example, first of all, they don't, they don't bow to idols. Faith, God's faithful servants do not bow before idols. They trust and obey God's word. So 
they could have easily escaped the flames. All they had to do was bow. So why don't they? I mean, it, it, they have a great position in the kingdom. We've already seen in chapters 1 and 2, the king has promoted them along with Daniel. Daniel asked that they be promoted. And they, they have a, a place of, of comfort and prestige. And they're kind of putting all of that at risk by not bowing when the king calls to bow. Uh, why don't they just bow? I mean, Daniel's not with them. Daniel's not going to hold them accountable. Daniel's not there to lead them anymore. Who's going to know? Why don't they just bow? Why don't they just give in? There's all sorts of, of pressures here. I mean, think about it for just a moment. Everybody's doing it. They're the only ones, even among the Jewish people who are not, not bowing at this moment, everybody's doing it. Parents, if, you ever, if your kids ever say, Mom, Dad, everybody's doing it. Come on, Mom. Come on, Dad. I, I can remember telling my mom, everybody's doing it. She'd say, Kyle, if everybody jumped off a bridge or everybody jumped off a cliff, would you jump off a cliff? And I, I probably would if everybody was doing it. There's all this peer pressure, is there not, to bow. And that peer pressure doesn't stop when we're young people, does it? There's all sorts of peer pressure as adults to, to drive a certain vehicle or to have a certain house or make a certain income or to do whatever it is that your sphere of influence, your people, uh, put the pressure on you to do. Why don't they bow? You know, it's as simple as this. They remained faithful to God's Word, to obeying God. Because they love God. Think about this for, for just a moment. They know, they know as good Jewish young men, the Ten Commandments for sure. The first commandment is, Thou shalt have no other gods before you. Bowing would mean they would be worshiping another God. The second commandment is don't, do not create any graven images for yourself or make any idols and, and don't bow down and worship them. That's the top two. They violate the top two of the Ten Commandments if they bow down at this point. Jesus says six centuries later, He who has my commands has accepted my commands. He who has my commands in John 14, 21 and obeys them. He is the one who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and make myself known to him. See, the way we know what God is doing is by doing what God has told us to do. They want deliverance, or we want deliverance oftentimes, without obedience. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are, are not so worried about escaping the fiery flames as they are about pleasing the one they love, the Lord. What about you? What about me? We try to, our best to avoid discomfort and pain. Or are we giving ourselves to loving the Lord no matter what? See, they... They saw the, the furnace. They knew 
the end result, if they didn't bow, they were ready to die. Boy, I don't Are we? For our faith? Does it mean that much to us? Faithful followers. And I'm not talking about just folks who would call themselves Christians, but I'm talking about those folks who are faithful followers, fully devoted followers of God, of Christ, are willing to go to all extremes to please Him. And they don't bend. Second thing is, in the face of opposition, they don't bend. Now, the way they get found out that they're not bowing is that there's these little snitches called astrologers. Uh, there's a, they're little, uh, they're called Chaldeans, maybe in your version of the Bible. They're the guys in um, Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom who were already there and got passed over for promotion, and so they're jealous of, of Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and so they're looking for any opportunity to accuse them and to get rid of them so they can have their places of position and power back. And so they go tell King Nebuchadnezzar, and in the midst of, of not bowing, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego leave themselves open to all sorts of criticism by other folks. They don't bend to that opposition. Nebuchadnezzar himself is the, the most powerful man in the world. He's got the greatest army military behind him, and he, he's kind of a hothead. Three times in chapter 3, it says, in his rage or in his rage and fury or because of his anger. That's why he cranks up the furnace so much is because he's, he's angry because he's been defied because people aren't listening to him as the ultimate authority. And yet, they don't yield. These young men stand face to face and say, hey, we don't have to answer to you. We have to answer to someone greater than you to the Lord God Almighty. And the third thing, or the second thing, are, are you following along on the back of your bulletin at all? Is it, am I with you? Are you with me? <laughs> we, the, they don't bow, or they don't bend to the opposition, but the third thing is they keep believing. They keep believing that God is able in the ability of God to save and rescue them. That's what they say. I know he is able. I know he will. They believe in his power and they believe in his goodness. But they also believe even in the midst of their uncertainty. They don't know how or when God is going to do it. That's what's so impressive to me about their faith. It's not a contractual kind of faith. It's not a deal where if I do this, you'll do this. It's not, where the, it's not like they're bartering with God. It's saying, they're not saying, God, I'll keep your commandments if you make sure you always deliver me out of all harm and trouble and, and, and that you protect me and provide for me and that you do everything I want you to do. They don't use God like a, a genie in a bottle. They submit to God and they say, even if he, he doesn't, we're still going to believe. We're still going to trust. That's impressive to me. Because it, it's not just the deliverance that they want. It's the relationship, putting themselves beneath, submitting to Him and His power, and knowing, trusting, believing 
that he's got their best interest at heart. Do they know what God is going to do? Do they know that God's going to come in the midst of the fiery furnace? We have no indication in the Scripture whatsoever that they know what's going to happen and how God is going to deliver. And we don't know. But we can trust. They don't know Jesus is going to come in the midst of that fiery furnace. They just as soon, like you and me, escape the fire. But oftentimes, God is with us in the midst of the trouble, the adversity, the fire. Isaiah 48, 10 tells us that even the whole exile thing, the reason they're in this foreign land of Babylon, it, it is a furnace of adversity that God is using to test them. And God is delivering them from that furnace. But what about when he doesn't? What about when the even if is not in the positive? There's an occurrence in the book of Acts in Acts 12, where two apostles, Peter and James, are both arrested by um, a wicked King Herod. And the wicked King Herod runs James, the strong, silent type brother of John, one of the sons of thunder, through with the sword. He is one of the first martyrs, if not the first martyr for Christ right then, right there. And he arrests Peter because he sees how it pleases the enemies of of Christ there, and he's about to do the same thing with Peter, but the church prays for him, and Peter is miraculously delivered. Remember that whole scene where he goes to the, the gate, and Rhoda, the young servant girl, basically shuts the gate on him because she can't believe it's really Peter, that he's really been delivered? Why does God save Peter and let James die? There are a lot of things lot of things in this world I don't understand. But here's one I do. That's God's call, not mine. God's in control of those situations, life and death. And I don't know fully how God works out his plan, but I know as I follow him and obey him and believe in him that it's working out. He's working it out. And then he used James's death just as he, as much as he used Peter's salvation to advance his purposes and his cause. Because there's a greater scheme. It's not just about you and me. The, wor- the world doesn't revolve around us. We are not the center of the universe. He is. I want you to see one other occurrence, and if you have your Bibles, you maybe want to turn here quickly in Hebrews 11, beginning with verse 33. Hebrews chapter 11 is kind of the hall of fame of faith, and it says, by faith so-and-so did this, and by faith so-and-so did that, and at the end of that, it says this. Look at what God did through people. By faith, in verse 33 of Hebrews 11, by faith these people overthrew kingdoms, ruled with justice, and received What God had promised, they shut the mouths of lions, think Daniel. Quench the flames of fire, think Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and escape death by the edge of the sword, think Peter there. And their weakness was turned to strength. They became strong in battle and put whole armies 
to fly. Women received their loved ones back again from the dead or from death. All these victories happened to people by faith. But look what else it says. But others were tortured, refusing to turn from God in order to be set free. They placed their hope in a better life after the resurrection. Some were jeered at and their backs were cut open with whips and others were chained in prisons and some died by stoning and some were sawed in half and others were killed with the sword and some went away about wearing skins of sheep and goats and destitute and oppressed and mistreated and they were too good. They were too good for this world wandering over deserts and mountains, hiding in caves and holes in the ground. And all these people earned a good reputation because of their faith. Those who experienced victory and those who seemingly experienced defeat. And yet none of them received all that God had promised. Whether it was victory on this side or whether it was defeat on this side, none of them got it all. For God had something better in mind for us so that they would not reach perfection without us. You hear that? God has something better in mind. Folks, this, whatever we go through is not all there is. We go through a pandemic or things can be great. The economy can be in, in great shape and and uh, the cotton can be high, and, and all our kids are getting along, and, and everything's good. There's glimpses of heaven all around us. And this is still not all there is. There's something better. Let's live in light of that better, believing that God can and will but even if he doesn't, there's a better day coming for all of us. There are people who suffer all their lives. I know people like that. I've shared with you people like that. My mother seems to be a person like that. But this is not all there is. And we look, no matter how hard it gets, to the one who still delivers. Because the people of God finally faithful servants of God do not burn. They don't bow, they don't bend, and they don't burn. They come out of the fire smelling like a rose. Now we know Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego didn't burn. We talked about that. But we also know because of Jesus, you and I don't have to burn in the flames of hell horrible place, not created for us, but created for the evil one and his demons, but a real place that real people end up unless they place their faith, their trust in Jesus to deliver them. Would you hear the words of Jesus himself at the end of the age? What In Matthew 13, beginning with the second part of verse 40, he says, at the end of the world, the Son of Man, talking about himself, will send angels and they will remove from the, his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. And the angels will throw them into the fiery furnace. 
where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's a picture of hell. All the time, every time hell is pictured, it's almost always weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's not going to be one big party. It's going to be one big torture chamber. And then the righteous will shine like the sun in their Father's kingdom. See, He came, Son of God, not just to deliver those in the fiery furnace, but to deliver us from the fires of hell and to deliver us into the kingdom of God where the righteous, not because of what we've done, but because of what we've accepted from Him, will shine like the sun. Now, whatever you face, whatever adversity, whatever difficulty, whatever you need deliverance from, whether it be addiction, whether it be anger, whether it be materialism, whatever it is, can you trust the one who saves and delivers? Can you do it today? I wish you could. But will you? Will you? Because here's where I want to end. Did I already say that? Did I say it was going to end there? Because I want to end here. Isaiah 43, verse 2. Whatever you face, your deliverance is really the presence of God in the midst of whatever you need delivering from. Here's how Isaiah says it 100 years before Daniel. When you go through deep waters, I'll be with you. When you walk through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. And when you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you, for I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. You know Him that way? You know him also as your Lord, the one you want to live for, the one you want to serve and please. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word, your word that's true. Lord, thank you that we can trust that you have the angels encamped around those who fear you and you will deliver them. Ooh, Father. We have confidence. We don't know how that's going to happen. We don't know when that's going to happen. We just know it's going to happen and we believe. Whether it's on this side of the river of life or the other side, we don't know. We want to make sure, Lord, that on the other side, we are rescued and saved by Jesus. So, Father, we ask that you would remind us that we're all sinners. Every last one of us are in the same boat. We've fallen short of your glory. We need you, Jesus. We believe that you took our place on the cross and that the work that you came to do is finished. 
and paying for our sin. And Lord, we this day choose to follow you. Just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego 2,600 years ago, we can choose to follow you. So Lord, help us in these moments to respond to your Spirit. In your holy, precious name we pray. Amen.